Hello and welcome. You are listening to Gay with God, a safe place for us to share our stories and support one another. How long did we know? What challenges did we face? Did we lose our faith? When did we find our way back home? Are we still searching? The stories you hear in this podcast will melt your heart and can strengthen your belief that in God, all things are possible. And you can be authentically gay with God. I am your host, Midge Noble, and I am very honored that you are here. Hey guys, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast like I'm doing here? I used to have a radio show on the internet and I absolutely loved it. The downside was I had to pay to be the host. I had to pay a lot of money. I loved my show and I still had lots more to say. I just didn't want to pay so much to have conversations with you. That's when I found Anchor. I am so excited because Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, distributing, and monetizing my own podcast. Instead of me paying out a lot of money, I have the potential to get paid for using my voice and talking about what is important to me and hearing your stories. I love connecting with all of you, and Anchor has given my voice to you. So if you're ready To start your own podcast, go to anchor.fm backslash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm backslash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Thanks for joining the Gay With God community. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the show. I have a really cool lady for you to talk to today and to listen to. I guess you can't really talk to her because we're not live, but one day we probably will be. For, for now, we're just going to let her talk to us. Her name is Anne-Marie Zanzel, and let me tell you a little bit about her. She came out as a lesbian after 27 years of marriage to a man and four kids. She is an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ, a progressive Christian denomination. She has severed. She has. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's a midge thing. I I really have ordered my glasses. They have not come in. We are all sad about that. She has served as a pastor, hospital and hospice chaplain and grief counselor. She currently works with women coming out later in life to the LGBTQIA plus community individually and through mutual support groups. So she's a wonderful lady. I've heard her story before on the Graying Rainbows podcast, if you ever have a chance to listen to that. And she also does her own things and she'll be telling us more about that. And later in the um, show, She'll be giving me some links and I will post that to the show page. So without any further ado, I want to welcome Anne-Marie to Gay With God and let's get started. Tell us your story, girl. Hi, Midge. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. So um, I'm somebody who was vaguely aware that they were gay when I was younger. I mean, the first time I ever thought that a girl was attractive enough that I wanted to do more than say hi to her um, was when I was about 19 and I was in a bar and I was like, my God, she's beautiful. But I was dating somebody at the time and just didn't even think beyond that. Um, A couple of years later, when I was about 25, 23, 24, I went out with my best, one of my best friends from high school and um, she was getting her PhD at the time. And I don't know, she was very involved in the queer community out in Stanford at, at um, getting uh, Stanford University in mm-hmm. California. And so her and her soon-to-be husband had all kinds of gay friends. Their, their attendance at the weddings were lesbian. And, and so my friend and I discussed it. And like, I just remember walking away from that lunch thinking, I think I might be gay. <laughs> and, and like literally panicking. It was, oh. you know, like 1987, 
It was seriously homophobic times in the United States because of the AIDS crisis. And um, I had just gotten out of a relationship with an African-American man. And I had sort of been, I had been shunned by my father Mm. for about four years. And so I'm like, oh my God, if I start dating women, what the hell are they going (laughs) to do? So I just sort of shoved it to the side. But I remember thinking like, where do you, where does one go? Where does one go to find people that are gay? There was a local gay bar, but I knew it was just mainly for men. I didn't realize at the time that women would go to gay bars like this. I just didn't know. And I did ask a friend to go with me and she just flatly refused (laughs) to go. So I put it away. So then I met a man. Um, We both come from, uh, big trauma backgrounds. We had a lot in common um, from that. And we both wanted to be warm and safe and dry. Yeah. And so we got married. Um, we were married for 27 years. Wow. Um, we had four kids together. The first three were very planned. The, you know, um, the fourth one is an immaculate conception. I think <laughs> I have no idea how we you got so up. much. <laughs> you, and, you and Mary. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, you know, I didn't think about my sexuality. I was so busy raising kids. Yeah. I like, it didn't even occur to me. Like it really didn't literally, only time it would occur to me is when I found somebody attractive. I was very interesting. Like since now I've been out in the community for a while, like I never found other straight friends attractive. Like mm-hmm. that, like it was always lesbian women, like someone you probably butch lesbians because, you know, those are the ones that you could tell when they were out and stuff yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. So like, those were the women I always found attractive and, and, and have a little crush on and, you know, would think about it for a couple of weeks and, um, and then put it away. Right. Um, it, when I was about 42, I read this article in Oprah Winfrey magazine. It was nine, it was 2006. And, um, it talked about the fluidity of women's sexuality mm. and all of a sudden I had a language to something I was experiment, you know, like, like experiencing. And I had this moment where I realized, although I had started down the straight path, I didn't have to stay on it forever. I just thought I was consigned to it and I had to stay. (laughs) And I remember telling my then 16 year old daughter, who's now almost 30, you know, (laughs) if something ever happens to dad and I, don't, don't be too surprised if I end up with a woman. Mm. And she said, okay, mom, you know, I raised them like really good liberals. So they were like, fine. Um, then, um, I got derailed. I went back to seminary. I, um, was interested in pursuing ministry. So I went to Yale divinity school and, um, really the next time something really big happened to me, I, was a spiritual experience actually it was 2009 I was halfway through my ministry degree and um I went to the coming out day ceremony at Yale Divinity School and I was a good little ally so I'm going you know (laughs) I always was a great ally we thank you (laughs) every ally ever Uh (laughs) and I'm going to this this coming out day ceremony and all of a sudden in the middle of the chapel I started like crying hysterically absolutely hysterically and um I and someone that somehow ended up on the lawn of the um quad and and was like I don't know I'm gay and I I don't know how I'm gonna do this like how do how do you change your life like how do you do all these things Um, so I did then did something called clinical pastoral education, which is called CPE. That's its, its acronym. And it's how you become a chaplain. I did a a, a residency and I did a a internship. And so I spent my entire year talking about being gay, um, with my cohort. And of course, you know, my CPE supervisors, which are like, you know, a a psychologist in a sense, we're both lesbians because, you know. (laughs) And my only other cohort member was another lesbian as well. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, God surrounds you with the people you need. Absolutely. And, um, and uh, so uh, at the end of that year, um, I met a woman who was an Episcopal minister and lost everything. 
Mm. absolutely everything when she came out. And I said, absolutely not. I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the choice isn't whether you're gay or not. The choice is whether we come out or not or what mm-hmm. we do with it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just sort of put it away again. In mm. 2014, my ex-husband and I were, now ex-husband and I were in marriage therapy. And I said to the therapist, the therapeutic community really failed me on so mm. many levels. This is just one instance. Um, it was a lesbian of course, it was a lesbian oh. marriage counselor. And um, I, that was just, I didn't choose her because she was a lesbian. She just happened to be a lesbian. And um, I said to her, you know, I think I might be gay in the concept of, in the, in the context of marriage therapy. And she just pretty much ignored me and wow. said that it was, you know, probably due to the difficult relationship I had with my mother, you know, and <laughs> roll, I roll here. Um, so a couple of, so a couple more years go by, I get ordained about three weeks after my, the morning after my ordination, I woke up and I said to my sister who was leaving, she had come in and I said, you know, this work is so difficult. Jim and I are real, that's my ex, ex, ex-husband, Jim and I are really struggling again. And I, I need a soft place to land. If I'm going to keep doing this work, I can't do it on my own. I need somebody to come home to because mm-hmm. my ex-husband was just never emotionally available to me. And so um, went back into with the same therapist who has since apologized profusely with the same therapist and um, started exploring again. And mm-hmm. I told her this story about this patient that was a hospice patient of mine. And she wasn't gay or anything like this, but she was one of those people that come onto hospice and thought she was going to die the next day. And eight months later, she's still around, you know, saying like, wow. you know, that happens all the time in hospice. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said to me, I think I've been waiting for something my entire life. And it really resonated with me when she said that. And then she had a very difficult death. And that happens to 0.5% people of in hospice. So don't get scared if you're listening. Uh-huh. Um, and she, um, I held her while she died and, and told her to go, you can go, you can go, you can go. And so I had like PTSD from that. And so I was sure. telling my therapist about that. And of course she asked me, what are you waiting for, Amory? And, you know, I had one of those like existential moments where you mm-hmm. start thinking like your whole life sort of flashes before your eyes. And mm-hmm. I said, started to cry. And I said, I think I'm gay. And she said, I said to her, I said, I think this is going to open up a Pandora's box. And she said, it doesn't have to. And I, and I'm still very grateful. She lied. Uh. (laughs) It It opened up a Pandora's box. And so that began my process of coming out. Um, I, for the third time, it took me three times to, to do it. And, um, this time, what I did differently is I Googled late in life lesbian. Yeah. I found an online support group mm-hmm. um, of other women who were in the process of coming out. I was very lucky when I found the group because there was only like a hundred of us in there. And um, so I consider these women, my sisters mm-hmm. and brothers. Some of them are brothers now, sisters mm-hmm. and brothers that we all came out at the same time together in 2016. And um that support really literally changed my life because I realized I wasn't alone. Yeah. And the other times I felt incredibly alone. Oh yeah. Incredibly yeah. alone. So, so well, especially, especially if your fa- if your father food, you know, food pod the you know the African American mm-hmm. dating. I mean, of course you were afraid of that. So how did your dad handle your coming he passed out? away? <laughs> my both Before- my parents. Both my so I was a late in life baby. My parents were in their forties when I was born, so they okay. died in their eighties. I was in my forties when they died. Um, so neither one of them. I, I never had to tell either one of them. So they dead. know now, so and I they're have, fine with it. <laughs> yeah. So I I missed that experience, which is very fundamental to a lot of people. I didn't have to do that, though. I did have to tell my birth family, my you know my brothers yeah. and sisters. Yeah. And your kids, and even though you you raise them very liberally, you know any kind of a separation between parents and and some of the things that happen in divorce was it easy for you guys to no, to go was, through that process or 
It was an absolute shit show. Um, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, so children, okay. So I've been working with our community now for, you know, like four years. It was like probably a year after, a year and a half into my own process that I started doing this work. Um, children react into their individuals and they act very individualistically to their parents coming out and their parents' mm-hmm. divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on the child, uh, I find my, my oldest and my youngest did the best with everything. My oldest, because she understood how unhappy I was married, married. I was, mm-hmm. she knew that. Mm-hmm. And when the day came that it got announced within the family, she was like, well, it's about time, <laughs> you know, um, the other two were not aware. And my youngest, who is, you know, the immaculate conception, um, he, he had to live it Mm. like he had like the other kids were all grown up and in college yeah you know in a way he had to live it the Mm. day in the day out of separation of divorcing um of the of their mom coming out I mean of of his mom coming out Mm -hmm. he had to live it so I find that he had to assimilate all the changes Mm -hmm. and so he did pretty well um big believer in therapy, even though it hasn't been great for me. So one of the things I did for him was get him his own therapist yeah. and somebody to talk to because there was just too much change in his life going on. And he needed a place where he could be pissed off about everything and oh, yeah. else handle those and help him handle those emotions. Yeah. And not try to buck up and protect you and, and be mm-hmm. there for you. Good mm-hmm. for you. Excellent. Mm-hmm. So you, you get ordained mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you come out. Mm-hmm. So, so how did you blend your authentic truth and religion? You got six <laughs> hours. Um, we might, but we might have to take a break in between. Okay. <laughs> I don't, I don't think zoom records that long. <laughs> okay. So there's, so there's two things going on here for me. So there's the piece of me that's very pragmatic and very, um, who believes in science and all that stuff, you know, my coming out right after my ordain, my ordination, you know, could be that like all the stuff that was in my brain Mm -hmm. was now put to rest, like that I got ordained and it was a goal of mine. Mm -hmm. And so all that. And so now like, it's ironic. It was three weeks later, you know, Um, because now my brain had time to do what it needed to do. Um, And then my minister's friends say to me that, you know, God ordained your whole self to ministry. Mm -hmm. So if God's going to ordain my whole self, my whole self is also queer and and so that part of myself got ordained. (laughs) And so I needed to do something about it. So I'm a couple of things happened. I was very lucky. I was not serving as a pastor at that time. So my ordination in the United Church of Christ, which I'm going to now call the UCC, um, was a non-event. Like nobody cared. My little church that I was a member of in Connecticut, um, they really knew me very well. They didn't know my ex-husband very well because we had switched denominations for me to be ordained. And um, so they were very supportive. Very loving, very kind. I had no problem with that. Um, My work, I was a hospice chaplain. I was also a face for the hospice that I worked. Like I was the public face because I'm a good public speaker and stuff. And um, when I started to come out, like the executive director no longer used me in that role. Wow. So I received some pushback at work about me coming out as a lesbian you know, chaplain. So, yeah. So I was really, it's really painful for me to look at my ordination pictures because it's with my ex-husband and our four kids, you know, the stereotypical American family standing in front of a church. Yeah. Um, And uh, I was really angry at God, Mm -hmm. Um, angry that here I achieved a goal of mine. Mm -hmm. And had everything taken away. Mm. Uh, 
I was really at like to even talk about it now without crying isn't a major life achievement. Um, So I was really angry about at God. Um, So my first anger was at God. I'm also a big believer that God can handle our anger. Yeah. (laughs) Have you read the Psalms? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's okay to get pissed at God. You can get pissed at God. God, God's big. The God I believe in is big enough to handle my anger. Right. You know, so I like whatever. Um, it took me a couple of years before I started to get angry at religion mm. and realizing I was raised Catholic. I was in the evangelical church for about 10 years. And then I found my nice progressive Christian denomination where I'll, I'll stay. Um, mm. uh, but realizing what the two other denominations did to me as a woman, mm-hmm. And to me as a, as a lesbian. Right. And, uh, and so still struggling with my <laughs> religion, you know, truly uh-huh. am. Yeah. And uh, I'm not, I'm not angry at God anymore so much. Um, I've started to pray again. It took me a long time. I wow. stopped for a couple of years. Didn't uh-huh. couldn't even get any words to my lips. Uh-huh. Um, so really had some, I, I really do call this later in life experience. It is a spiritual awakening. Yes. And within a spiritual awakening, you have to have a dark night of the soul. It's, uh-huh. it's a requirement. <laughs> and so I had a pretty dark night of the soul for about mm. a year. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I was told that um, when I started exploring coming back to, to church, because uh, I'd been gone for, I can't even tell you how many years, probably 20 years. And when I started coming back, the reason that I did it was because I, you know, I'm, I'm an empowerment coach. You know, mm-hmm. we can, we can empower ourselves to do anything and face our fears. And then, you know, I kept having it thrown up into my face, but you're afraid to go into a church. You're mm-hmm. afraid to let God back in. You're afraid that it's going to, you know, all those fears, but we were going to start a LGBTQ meetup group in Asheboro, North Carolina, which I swear to you has never been done. <laughs> and we needed a place to go. And some of my friends said, well, why don't you go to the Episcopal church and you could probably, you know, get a place there for free. And I'm like, why would I take my gay brothers and sisters who have been injured by the church to a church for a meetup? You know, I said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. And they said, no, you got to meet father Joe. You got this, you got that. The, and what father Joe had said to me when I I met him and, and talked for probably two hours in the coffee shop where he was having his little office hours that day. And um, he said, you know, he said, if, if you had looked at the Episcopal church years ago, he said, you wouldn't have been embraced. He said, but things have changed. You know, it has changed remarkably and there's still changes that need to be made. He said, but I can tell you that our church here at Good Shepherd, you know, I, I am your ally. I believe God is your ally. I believe that, you know, the scriptures have been misinterpreted and you absolutely are not going to hell for being gay, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he was so validating. And I thought, wow, you know, I could, you know, I could spend this with, with the people who will do it. I can spend this, you know? And so we, we used to meet there before the pandemic and, you know, and now then we were going out to restaurants and stuff, but um, you know, that, that, that whole Episcopalian concept is so structured and way more structured than my church experience ever was, but Mm -hmm. it was so open um, in this community. Now there may be other Episcopalian churches in smaller counties that aren't, um, and so that's it's just something. Thing. Yeah, that's the thing about um, churches. Yeah, uh, you have to really investigate. Oh yeah. Just because a church is Episcopalian or right. UC or um, whatever other denominations, UMC, United Methodist, Baptist, American Baptist, not Southern, um, any of those, you really have to investigate the yes. because yeah. just because. So there's, there's um, churches that say they're open, but okay, they can be open, but will they be affirming? Meaning right. like you walk in with your wife and, or your husband and you hold hands during the service. Exactly. Like as people, are people staring at you or are people just like, don't even notice? Right. You know, that's what affirmation is about. You right. know, 
you talk about, they ask people, they, for example, they ask about your, if you're married, you know, they ask you about your wife or your husband and, or mm-hmm. you're, you know, ask you questions that they would ask a straight couple, like, oh, you guys planning on having kids, you know, stuff yeah. like that. That's just affirming to people. Right. And yeah. just because the sign says all are welcome, that doesn't mean that they, they are praying for you because they think you're sinning. Not that we're not mm-hmm. all sinners on some level, but you know, that you know that's i i don't like those signs because i don't think they're true <laughs> y'all are welcome but <laughs> don't show yeah, that to really really invest <laughs> like i would really highly recommending investigating the church calling the pastor having Absolutely. a conversation with them because what father joe said to you was obviously you liked what he had to say the priest mm-hmm. that you talked to um but you know you can talk to a, a, a pastor of a church and figure out pretty quickly if oh yeah going to be welcome to you and your family or not yeah yeah and before that even going on to a website and seeing do they have any activities for the lgbtq community at that church you know are they are they you know being a social justice community you know um tips if they have a board of elders and they're all male nope nope <laughs> no. I wouldn't even go there as a girl, you know, know, uh, if, if their leadership is all male, yes, probably not. You have to really like do some digging. Um, uh, there's so many other little, like if they have particular, um, scriptures up like Titus, which speaks about women being silent in church, or, you know, Mm -hmm. there's not going to be a woman on the leadership team. If there's not a woman on the leadership team, they are not going to be accepting to the LGBTQ community. Right. So, but having said that, just because there's a woman on the leadership team doesn't mean that they're going to be accepting to the LGBTQ. Exactly. You really have to do your homework. Yeah. You have to do your homework. Yeah. And it's a painful journey. I, I appreciate what you said about not being able to pray. And I, and I couldn't use the word God because mm-hmm. God to me was the condemnation part, the abomination and you're going to hell part. And, mm-hmm. and I couldn't even use that word. And so as I created my own spiritual practice, you know, it was creator of all that is, because I know that somebody created all that is. And well, I don't use the word God. I don't. And that's um, okay. I don't gender God because mm-hmm. I believe to gender God means to inherently limit God. So I don't gender God at all, because if we gender God, then we limit the experience to male or female. And Mm -hmm. God is so much bigger than that. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't use the word God. Um, I am now because we are discussing this. I use the word universe. I use Mm -hmm. creator. Um, I use sustainer. I love um, Islam because they have 90 in the beginning of um, the Quran, they have 99 different words to describe God. And I think that's really awesome because it's hard to encompass everything by, by just saying God, because I say God in your image of what pops up is God is very mm-hmm. different. could be very different than mine. Yes. So that's why I don't use the word God because the word God, because it's so loaded <laughs> for people, <laughs> especially, especially people who have been traumatized by religion. Mm-hmm. So I don't use that word because I don't want to traumatize people. Right. Yeah. And, and I, and I, and I totally understand that, you know, because I was there and I think that's why when I used it, because I finally got liberated from feeling like it was a, you know, the thing I couldn't do. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I love the, the part of your story where you talk about being able to pray again and you mm-hmm. talk about coming back to something that, that you know, was, was a, a part of you too. You know, that well, was ordained too. Well, what was really helpful is my partner's been out since she was 18 mm-hmm. and her, her cousin, sweetest, nicest, handsomest man you've ever seen in your life. Um, He lives out in West Hollywood. He's an agent. He sings in his church choir every Sunday in the Methodist church. Um, So they've been real helpful mentors to me Mm -hmm. in the sense that like both of them, when they came out, they had periods of agnosticism and not going to church. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't important to them then. So it made, gave me comfort that it's pretty normal in the coming out process when you are somebody from a religious background that you either reject it or turn away from it for a while, or you just take a break Mm because you're tired, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, 
what I like about, so that helped it helped me tremendously because mm-hmm. it made me feel like, oh, okay, this is normal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but prayer happened again. I don't know. It just happened one day. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could tell you, like, I just start like, um, so I work with people coming out later in life. I believe in the universe. So one of the things, like, I think it started again because when I was a chaplain and I was on the floors and, you know, I was going in to tell people mm-hmm. that their child or be with the people as their children have died. And I would always say a quick prayer, like, let me be mm-hmm. the best, you know, let me be the best I can be in this moment to help this family or whatever, mm-hmm. something like that. Or when one of my hospice patients were dying or something. And so it really started out of my coaching. When I was coaching people, I'd be, I started praying again. I was like, mm-hmm. help me be this be what I need to be for this person in this moment so that I can provide them with the best support I can. Mm -hmm. And it was just something I do just, I guess, center myself. So that's Mm -hmm. probably the reason I started praying again, Mm -hmm. you know, just for help and guidance from the universe. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, because it's such a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, it's such a shaming experience, you know, that, the religious community shames us the society shames us every time there's a new president in the office we have to (laughs) reclaim our rights as human beings in the united states of america it's just you know such a separatist type of experience um for for many people i know that there are some people their parents were all inclusive and they you know embraced them and they let them you know do their thing as when they were young but you know it takes a while, I think, for people to get some of that shame off and out. And, and it recycles back. I found for me, it's like I'm feeling really great and I'm feeling really authentic. And, I'm, you know, I've reclaimed, you know, my faith. And, and then all of a sudden we have a president like we had the last four years. And I'm like, oh, my God, it was like it wasn't well, a dark night of the soul. It was like a period of extension. Well, it was fear, wasn't it? Oh, yes. I mean, for yes. me. As you know, I had told my children, I'm like, you know, if we keep going on this path, I may have to leave this country because mm-hmm. I was afraid for myself and my partner. Yep. I was afraid for a lot of other people yep. because what I have experienced with the politics of the previous administration is that they were going after, because I do believe in evil sometimes, and I do think they were mm-hmm. evil. Mm-hmm. Not everybody. I know. <laughs> you know what I mean. Caveat, caveat. Caveat. <laughs> but going after a community like the LGBT mm-hmm. community and starting with the trans community, which is probably and our trans children. Yes. Is evil. Yes. Yes. It's evil. It's evil. It's again to me, it's against God. It is against how we are supposed to be as human beings, like Jesus Christ you know, his basic ministry was like, love everybody and keep everybody, bring everybody in, bring everybody to the Uh table. uh Go get the last sheep that's wandering in the field somewhere. Uh Like to me, it was so antithetical to what Christ teaches. Uh Like, 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 (laughs) you know, we're taping this on a Zoom and um, Mitch can see my mouth open. (laughs) I was like, how can you claim yourself as a Christian or as a person of faith and treat others like that. I like to I me, I, I just, yeah, I, we're not reading from the same Bible. <laughs> <laughs> clearly, clearly, clearly not. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I want people to understand who's listening to your story and all the stories on this podcast is that even though we have a similar theme, you know, we all react differently to, to the circumstances we have to go through, you mm-hmm. know, coming out to a parent or not coming out to a parent. I, I have friends that are my age, I'm 62. And I have friends that are my age, that their parents are still living, and they are still unable to, to tell their parents. And um, one of my dear friends, I mean, her mom passed before, and she, she was coming out to a lot of people, but she could not come out to her grandparents. She could not come out to her parents. And I'm not shaming that. I'm just, I'm saying because of our shame, because of how we fear how somebody's going to treat us, um, you know, it, it's a horrible experience when it's horrible. Well, and you know, this is one thing that like, I didn't know when I came out mm-hmm. is that I thought that people who had come out had 
figured everything out about everything. (laughs) And I didn't, I just honestly didn't know. Yeah. And what has been really interesting to me is that I find our later in life community, we really work with our internalized homophobia. We Mm -hmm. really, I think because we come to the coming out experience with a lifetime of experience behind us and a lifetime of wisdom. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I find that the later in life community really grapples with the demons of the queer community Mm -hmm. because we're just older and more mature. And, you know, when, when you're younger, you have other things that you're doing and you're desiring and you're figuring out. So you're just at a different place in life. So what I realized is that a lot of times people in the gay community, like, accept their second class citizenship from their family. Uh Like, for example, like I have a dear friend, he's been with his partner now, he came out later in life, 40, he's like 65 now. Uh Um, He was married to a woman with a child and he came out later in life. And he's now in totally in love with his husband and happily married for a while. But when his father was still alive, his father wouldn't let him, when he went home to see him, he couldn't stay in the same bedroom as his husband. Uh Uh And he accepted that as like, oh, well, he's got a right to his opinion. Like, and and to me, that's like, that to me is a non-negotiable, like, Uh you know, no. Uh Or, or I see on like the lesbian pages, like people will say that their grandpa doesn't accept them and their wife and, Uh and they're, 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 they're accepting of this. Well, he has his beliefs and I have mine, but I'm like, no, that's accepting his, his second, that's accepting your grandfather's, um, homophobia and and probably racism sometimes too. You know, you were, we're, we're, we are worthy, the queer community of full, citizenship and full respect and what I find sometimes is that people accept their second-class citizenship status and that's unfortunate because you you shouldn't yeah it's hard to get around it too and it's it is hard to to be respectful of someone's need to take some time. I mean, that's different. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I come out to my parents and they don't contact me for, you know, three weeks. Mm -hmm. right. They're taking their time. It took me how many years to to figure it out for myself? I mean, I was 30 before I came out. So, you know, I too was, you know, later in life. And, and so they had, they needed to take some time. That's all fine. But when I, when my, um, my grandparents had had a a family reunion and I showed up one time and this is the early stages of when Sue and I were together and I did know I was gay, but I wasn't out. And, um, and so I, I spent the whole day at the reunion answering these questions about my life. Like I had no life. (laughs) Are you dating anyone? Are you, are you married? Are you this? Are you that? And all those questions. And I was like, basically lying or avoiding all these questions. So the second year um, they were going to have the reunion. And I said to my dad, I said, well, I said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. I said, I I said, I'm, I'm, you know, either Sue's going to come with me or I'm still, I'm going to tell the truth. I'm not going to act like I'm not in a relationship. He said, you are not allowed to tell anybody anything about your relationship with her and I said well then I'm not coming and he goes yes you are coming I said no sir I'm sorry but I am not I'm not going to come and act like I don't have a life and that I don't exist and so for the next two reunions (laughs) I didn't go because the rule was you could not tell the truth and so I didn't go. And right before he died, he decided he was going to have another family reunion. And he said, and you're going to be there. And I said, daddy, we've talked about this. And he said, and you're going to bring your family. Mm. But we yeah. never had the reunion. He died before that. But I thought that that was really, you know, that was the opening for him right. after all of the years that, you know, Sue and I had been together, um, you know, but he finally got to a place where he could say, bring your family. Well, and, and I'm going back to what you started this conversation with is, is that, you know, this is something sometimes we know this for years and years and years and years and years, but sometimes it takes, oh, excuse me. Hello. I know I was going to turn my phone off and I didn't. Oh, but why? (laughs) So much more fun. And sometimes, um, and sometimes it takes people a little while. Yeah, it just does. And, um, I know it can feel enormously hard hurtful Uh when that happens but you know giving people a little bit of space and time 
is okay. Yeah. You can do that. It's when like, like you were saying, when your dad's like, no, you can't bring your partner there. Then that's when you have to set a boundary and you set a very clear boundary. Mm -hmm. I'm not coming. Um, Something very similar happened to my partner. Um, When she came out, she was like 21, 22. And she didn't go home for Christmas for a couple of years because Mm -hmm. she got disowned by both sets of parents. Mm -hmm. And um, her grandpa was like after two years was like where's Tonda where has she been and he goes and her mother's like oh dad you don't understand she can't come home and he goes no I do understand and Tonda belongs with her family and and her his mother his daughter her mother was like no dad you don't understand she doesn't you know she shouldn't you know and he goes no I do understand tell Tonda to come home so they had a conversation like it was such a southern conversation yeah talked about things but really didn't talk about things and right. after that she went home to she brought various girlfriends home over the years and stuff like that <laughs> but she went home for Christmas after about Good. two or three years yeah. yeah yeah so so that whole part is a process too but we there there has to be a, a a place in us where we draw a line and um and we can be respectful and still be who we need to be and right. honor honor our life so well, and also too, you know, Midge, we come out for, you come, you know, like people, like people in the straight world think that you come out once and that's it. You come out for the rest of your life. For the rest of your life. Yeah. You and people out. go, well, why do you have to bother? Nobody goes around saying I'm straight. And I'm like, so, but when did you being straight come with, you know, death sentences and, and loss of rights and, you know, well, because, because it's be, being straight is a heteronormative majority. I mean, yes. that, that's just everybody's straight and everybody who isn't isn't (laughs) so like you know like so so for example even little things like you know going out you know making making reservations or saying oh my wife and I or you Uh know it's like it's it's continuous and so we do it all the time we do it all the time and and every time we do it we have that little thing in our stomach as to how will this go you know Mm -hmm. will they serve me will they not serve me will they give me my you know will they well, yeah. And I think there, yes, there's always like, I, I understand you get this little tiny feeling in your stomach and you're like, mm-hmm. but once you get, once it becomes comfortable, you just do it anyway, you know, oh, yeah. and, well, who cares? You know, whatever, <laughs> whatever, do what, you want. <laughs> do what you want. Well, our little, our little town of Ashboro saw a pride, a little pride meetup group in their Christmas parade last year before the pandemic hit. So there weren't very many of us, but we, we walked the streets of Ashboro with our little pride thing. Oh, and I was, I was very proud of them. I really was. Cause I said, Hey, it, because everybody was very enthusiastic. And I said, now I'm going to tell you right now, <laughs> if, if we agree to do this and we tell the chamber that we're going to enter into the parade, I'm not holding that thing by myself. I'm not, walking all the way through, not just me. <laughs> Well, good for you. Yeah. And we had allies that, you know, marched with us too. And it was really, really awesome. Um, so um, as, as we're starting to wind down here, um, I, I have my final question that I want to pose to you, but is there anything else that you feel like you would like to share about your experience uh, to ju- just wrap up the discussion we've had so far? Anything that you feel like you might've. Um... Not that anything I've missed, but, okay. but what I would like to say that you know, so many gay people who have been raised in the conservative church think that being gay and loving God and being a member of a religious community is incompatible. And that is a lie. Mm -hmm. There are lots of churches out there that want and welcome LGBTQ community. They want to make amends for where they've messed up in the past. Yes. (laughs) Um, And so if being a member of a church is important to you, you enjoy the worship, you enjoy the fellowship, you enjoy all of those things, there are communities out there that are waiting for you to join. So it is not incompatible to be a Christian and to be gay. It is not. That is a lie you have been told. Because you have always been gay with God. Right. (laughs) We we just just, thought we couldn't be. (laughs) Yeah. But the thing is, is that like I, so, you know, another thing would be is that um, we're all made in the image of God. 
So if you're made queer or trans Mm -hmm. in the image of God, you are still in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And how limiting to God it is for everyone just to be straight Mm -hmm. and to be um, uh, male or female, like in the binary. And because God is the universe, God, mm-hmm. your higher power, whatever mm-hmm. you name, mm-hmm. is so much greater than the smallness of heterosexuality or the smallness of two genders. Um, and so there's a lot of faith communities out there. There's a lot of people that believe, believe in more mm-hmm. than just it's got to be this way, mm-hmm. you know? So absolutely. And you are perfectly created and perfectly made beloved by God. You are. But like, um, to me, um. that's like a, <laughs> you are, you just are. You just you are. You, you just, just are. are. <laughs> <laughs> so my final question to you would be, you know, what is one thing or more as we talked earlier, <laughs> but what is, what is something that, that you would have benefited from if someone had said to you or told you when you were struggling, is there one thing that you would want to, to say to someone else to help them? It is. Yes. Um, it is scary to let go a life that you've created. Mm. It is incredibly scary to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's leaving a straight life behind, a straight marriage behind, even, uh, uh, you know, even if you're married to a man, uh, you're gay and you're married to it and you're like not happy. Mm-hmm. Um, it is very, very scary to leave that stuff behind. Um, and for a while, it'll feel like you're drowning mm-hmm. and you are in chest high river and you're like you can't go back but when you look at the back of the bank you you don't want to go back Mm -hmm. but you're still in the middle of this churning river of change and transition you have to do you just have to keep moving forward Mm -hmm. um find community a lot of times people when they're coming out later in life or even when they're coming out they just want to find a partner and that's wonderful, but the first thing you need is community. You mm-hmm. need a group of people that understand what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Where people, whether they came out at 18 or 75, they all get it. We've all done that. We've mm-hmm. all come out. We've all got to come out. So I, if you, I guess I'm trying to say is that if you, straight people, straight people don't lay awake at night wondering if they're gay. They just don't. Nope. But if you're somebody who is who is gay or trans and you're like wondering, I, I don't feel like I, sh- I think I'm supposed to feel and mm-hmm. that that you can make the changes and it is so much better on the other side. Yes. Doesn't mean all your problems go away. Nope. Doesn't mean you're like dancing with unicorns and sliding down the rainbow. Doesn't mean that. But it does, what I think it means is that you feel comfortable in your own skin mm-hmm. and you feel mm-hmm. authentic. And like I, my entire life, I didn't feel comfortable yep. in my own skin. I mean, I did everything they told me I was supposed to do. I did mm-hmm. it very well. I'm, you know, I'm a typical mm-hmm. overachiever, but <laughs> I, I just didn't feel comfortable. Now I feel comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. And like, it still blows my mind even today, five years later, like it still does. Like I'm still like, like I still sometimes go, yeah, I'm really gay. Like (laughs) I really, like I really am. And like, it still blows me away. So it's also a process. I think Mm -hmm. I've had to tell people. And if you're newly coming out, it is really normal to go back and forth and say, yes, I am. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. You know, it's so yeah. normal. And um, there's a bunch of us that understand. Yeah. And if you're in that situation, you know, Anne Marie is someone, especially if it's later in life that you'll want to find. And as I said before, her uh, links to herself and her social media will be in the show page. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're local and you want to check out a, a church, um, you know, you can 
hit the good shepherd in Ashboro. Uh, it's affirming and it's welcoming. And I can attest that, <laughs> you know, well, in you Nashville, um, I belong to the Holy Trinity community church, which is a UCC church. It is a LGBTQ church here in Nashville. Yay. And there are a lovely group of people, theologically conservative, just warning you. <laughs> They are absolutely wonderful, lovely, lovely, welcoming group yep. of people and will take you in and yep. embrace you. Especially there you go. from like a Southern Baptist Church of Christ Pentecostal traditions, which tend to be the more conservative traditions, you will find a home there. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And as, as Anne-Marie said earlier, you know, check them out. You know, you don't have to just walk in the door, you know, cold, you know, check a website, make a phone call, see if they'll meet you somewhere and have a discussion um, because it's all good. You know, I don't ever want someone to think that they're an abomination and that you're going to go to hell for being your authentic self. Um, so you can find me at empoweringawakenedhearts.com. I'm on Facebook, uh, Midge Noble, uh, empoweringawakenedhearts.com there too. So um, you can also find me. And if you are gay and you're hearing this and you think, well, I got a story Midge needs to hear, I want you to tell it to me. So um, you can find uh, also the link to the Calendly page where you can tape your um, you can book your guest spot on my show or just hit me up on messenger. Um, so I welcome your stories because I believe that as we tell our stories, we become more visible and we become stronger as a community. And that's what I want. I want everybody to be their authentic self and to know that they are worthy and they've been seen and heard and that they're okay. So thank you, Anne-Marie. I appreciate you so much for telling your story and, um, and being so authentic with us. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. I want to invite you to become part of the Gay With God community. How can you do that? Stay connected by messaging me your thoughts and comments on the Anchor Message app or on the show page. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and share, share, share so we can increase our community outreach and become a light to those who are struggling to claim their faith. Consider being a sponsor so I can highlight your service in our community. We are all worthy of respect and a relationship with the God of our understanding. I want to thank you in advance for tapping on the support this podcast link. Together, we as a community will keep this show visible and our community stronger. Deep gratitude to my friend Tim McClendon of Tim McClendon Music for allowing me to use an excerpt from Interlude 4, a song found on his CD entitled Sundance.